are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. How we doing? Good. And my name is Caleb. If you don't know me, and I am the worship pastor here at Life Community Church. And as you can see by my teaching notes, I'm clearly one of the younger and more tech-savvy staff members of the bunch. I'm a newish father, newish. You know, I, my wife and I have uh, a nine-month-old baby boy named Micah who, you guys don't know this in this service, but he's already introduced himself many times to, to all of 9 o'clock service at the top of his lungs while Steve is preaching. And, uh, <laughs> but you wouldn't know that, so you're missing out. But uh, I've been on staff here for over six years now, which is hard to believe, um, but this is the first time that I've taught. And so as you can imagine, I've been storing up some good stuff. So... Don't worry, it's, it's, the next two hours are going to fly by, I promise. <laughs> now, Adam, Adam got us started last week uh, in this new series that we've titled Set Apart. And he introduced to us this idea that we are not to be like everybody else. We are God's people, adopted sons and daughters who are in this world but are not of it. And because we are in this world and not of it, because we are sojourners, as Peter puts it, we should expect difficulties. After all, the world rejected Christ first, right? And so we should also expect rejection and difficulty. And yet we, at the same time, we are called to bring light into this world that has rejected us. Rather than to flee and to seek refuge from the world, we are to live from a different identity and purpose. We are to be his hands and feet to impact the world for the kingdom of God. And so to to continue exploring that different identity and different purpose, today we are talking about worship. And before we go any further, let's bow our heads and pray. Dearly Father, God, you're so good, and we do not deserve you, and yet in your goodness you saw fit to send your Son to pay the price that we deserved so that we could have a chance at eternity with you. And God, so, so I, our hearts today my, my prayer would be that our lives would be a response to what you have done for us. God, that we would live out of that different identity and purpose that you've placed on us. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we have a worship problem, and, and we've had a worship problem from the day that sin entered this world. 
And we've got right off the bat, we've, you know, we have Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, that, that offers an unacceptable sacrifice to God. And, and, and when he finds out that it is not acceptable, he gets angry and he kills his own brother out of jealousy. And then, you know, way further down the line, we've got Israel that in a moment of panic, when they should have been trust and waiting, they melted down their, their golden jewelry and, and fashioned a, a golden calf and bowed down to it. And there are, there are stories all over through Scripture that, that kind of spell out this same, you know, we're, we're messing it up. That's just, the, that's just how, how it is. And we have had a worship problem for a long time. And so in order to gain a better understanding of what this worship problem is, let's start by defining what worship is. Right? So according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, worship is extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. And we see this all around us, do we not? We, we're good at this. We are created to be worshipers, and we do it well. We love to show extravagant respect and admiration for things, do we not? And we're really good at, at devoting ourselves fully to things. You know, it's not hard to see what those things are, right? Often, you know, one of the biggest indicators of what we value is to follow the money, right? Well, here's just a couple things that the money indicates that we value, that we worship as a nation. All right, the NFL last year in 2019 generated $13 billion of income. The Major League Baseball Association generated $9.5 billion dollars. Maybe you're not into sports. That's okay. Me neither. The film industry in the U.S. alone generated $11.3 billion. So, I mean, these are just a couple of things that, that people worship. And, and, I, and I mean worship when I say it, because there are few things that I've seen people be more passionate or upset about than when their team, their sports team, is doing well or is doing not so well, right? No. Or how about this? Have you, have you guys ever driven by a movie theater on the night of a highly anticipated release? Right? The, one that, the one that will forever stick in my memory is I was in college, and the final film of the Harry Potter franchise came out. And I drive by the theater, and, and if you had been there with me, you would know that there are more wizards in this world than what you may have originally thought. They were everywhere. And I don't know, maybe some of them are here in this room. We don't know. You know, it is, it is crazy. But my point is, people love the God of entertainment. Do we not? We love to worship things that bring us pleasure things that, that bring us satisfaction. Now, I'm not knocking sports or movies. In fact, if, if I'm looking for a relaxing time, one of the most relaxing things for me is to plop down in a recliner and enjoy a good movie. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, but maybe you think worship is too harsh of a term in a context like this, but, but I'd have to push back on you. 
I would, because I have a hard time looking at, at the billions of dollars that are spent on and generated by industries like this and not wonder if perhaps, perhaps we have other idols in our lives that we are offering extravagant respect and admiration to. And for sake of, sake of argument, let's throw out a couple more things. How about your kid's success? How about college education, comfort, our homes, financial security, retirement? These are all things, and, and please don't think that, that I'm suggesting that these are not pitfalls that I myself am immune to. Uh, these are things that we all, as humans, face and are tempted with. There are over 7.6 billion people in the world, and every one of them is directing extravagant admiration and respect towards something. And are these things in and of themselves bad? I don't think so. But the rub happens when these things become pursuits that we devote ourselves to. Right? Pursuits that that are empty, and yet at the same time all-consuming because we pour all that we have into making this dream that we have pictured in our head a reality. We can't allow these things to take precedence over what we as followers of Christ are called to be and who we are called to serve. Because as we talked about last week, we are to be set apart different, holy, with a different identity and a different purpose. First Peter chapter 2, to revisit what we looked at a little bit last week, verses 9 through 10 say, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once we were not a people, but now we are his people. We are his special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So, is, so we, as people set apart, are no longer to worship or serve any other masters. Instead, we are to direct that extravagant admiration and respect towards him, the only one who's worthy of it. Which is what brings us to our worship problem. And this problem is twofold. The first part of our problem as worshipers is we like to condense our worship into this time of, of singing songs and music, like what we just did up here. That's what we all tend to think of when, when we think of worship, and that's pretty much it, right? And secondly, when we do try to serve the Lord in worship, we make it about us. We make it about ourselves, what we like, our preferences, so let's look at what Scripture has to say about worship. 
This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now to put this in context, this little section of scripture, Paul often wrote his letters in, in, a, in a kind of specific literary style. He would, he would write his letters in a way that would begin with, with God, with, or with explaining and reminding everything that, that God has done for his people. Right? And then this would be followed by how we as his people should respond to it. Right? So we often, whether, whether consciously or not, I think we think about our relationship with God in, in the context of God responding to our actions. Right? You know, we do something good and, and so God blesses us, or we do something bad and then bad things happen to us. And, and, but what Paul continually kind of demonstrates in his writing is, is the opposite. Instead of God responding to our actions, it is he who first acted, and then we as his people who respond to what he's done. And verse 2 said, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we, we are imitators by, by nature and design, right? I mean, after all, we were created in the image of God. We all have you know, role models in our lives, people that, that, whose lives that we see and we're like, man, I like that. I want to be like that. I want to be like them. You know, why do we, why do we think that peer pressure is such a, a powerful thing? It's because we are imitators, and so we have two choices here, to imitate culture or to imitate Christ. You know, Paul just spent the last 11 chapters in Romans you know, reminding the Roman church of all that God has done for them. And now he's at the turning point here in chapter 12 to the point where the, what the bride of Christ should respond, how they should respond and that's where this therefore comes into play. And I love this therefore. Paul says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, therefore, in, in response to all that God has done for you, therefore, in response to all the things that I just reminded you about, you ought to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Another translation says, this is your reasonable service, which I love because it just sounds so rational, right? It's, it's like, you know, God did this, and therefore this is the only reasonable response. If this, then that, you know, kind of thing. I, I love that. It's the only reasonable and logical response to what he's done is to offer, as Paul says, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. You know, and this would have, this term living sacrifice would have been both foreign and familiar at the same time to, to the church in Rome. 
You know, because sacrifice was, was normal practice during this day in both pagan and Christian religion. But what's different is the term sacrifice was always previously used in terms of one's property, never in terms of one's self. And so to offer themselves as a sacrifice would have sounded outrageous. It would have sounded crazy. And, and, you know, Paul, he wasn't asking them to, in a single act of valor, throw themselves upon the altar and die for him. No, what he's saying is that if we are seeking to proportionally respond to what God has done for us, then the only option, the only option that we have available to us is to offer the very entirety of our lives. Therefore, I believe Paul is making some monumental statements here, almost as if in response to the very worship problem that we today face. You know, the first part of our worship problem is that, is that we condense it into singing, like I said. And now, I don't know if you know this about me, but I love to sing. It's kind of my job, right? <laughs> uh, I, I love music, but if that's all that I have to offer the creator of the universe who, who has saved me from hell and eternal separation from him, then there has got to be some disconnect, the only thing that I have to offer is my voice. There's got to be a disconnect. Worship for the holy set-apart people of God should be in everything we do, everything we say, and everything we think. So when we condense worship down to simply singing songs, it is a textbook oversimplification of what we are called to do. Worship is so much more. Worship should be in everything we do. Our extravagant respect and admiration for the creator and savior of all things should be the source of the motivations behind we, why we do what we do. We worship in, in how we treat people, in how we handle conflict, in how we raise our children and how we handle our money, and how we respond to the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We worship in how we respond to aggression. We worship when we take our thoughts captive. We worship when we trust in the Lord in times of trial. We worship in how we use social media. We can worship in what we do when no one's looking. Even in how we care for the creation that, that God has placed us over, we can worship. Worship can and should be the entirety of our lives. It is the way we are called to live. You know, so Paul is, is saying firstly that, that worship is everything. And secondly, in true and proper worship, we are to be the sacrifice. And if, and if we are to be the sacrifice, we cannot, therefore, at the same time, be the object of esteem to which that sacrifice is being made. Right? 
It's not about us. But we live in a culture that loves to elevate self and independence. And on top of that, we are already just plain selfish. Right? I am selfish. I enjoy doing things that bring me pleasure. And therefore, I choose, often choose, to do those things. Right? And conversely, there, there are things that I do not enjoy doing, and so I do not naturally choose to do those things. I don't, I don't think that I'm alone in this. Right? We are all selfish. And this is evident in us from birth. Right? You could search the entire earth and not find a single baby that cares whether or not their mom or dad gets a good night's sleep. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room this morning? Right? Right? If, if, if my son Micah wakes up hungry in the middle of the night, he does not give a moment's thought to whether or not mom or dad is sleeping or that they have to work in the morning. It never once crosses his mind. No, all that he cares about is that he is hungry now. That's it. There's no natural inclination inside him that runs, you know, run through his, his thoughts that, ah, I could wait till morning. And it's only a couple hours away, right? No, no. It's not until that he gets a little older that he will begin to learn and understand what it means to consider the feelings of others or to even place the needs or desires of others above his own. That is a learned behavior. That is not natural. Why? It's just, we live in a broken world. It's not natural for us. We are selfish and we put everything in our lives through this filter of how does this affect me? Does this make me happy? Right? And honestly, a lot of the time as adults, we're not much better at this, right? There's some things that we grow in and, and, and can be selfless in, but at the end of the day, we're all grabbing the closest parking spot, right? Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, and, and you cannot tell me that there's not a man in this room that presented with a pizza that is cut unevenly would not grab the biggest piece of pizza. Right? <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what I do every single time, no matter what. I am selfish, right? My point is this. We have a natural tendency to make everything about us. And worship is no exception. We like to worship things that bring us pleasure. So so when we worship those things, what we're really doing is worshiping self, right? We are, we are seeking our own glorification when we do those things. But worship of our Lord and Savior has never been and never will be about us. We have a worship problem because we try to take something that is meant and designed to please somebody else, but to do it in a way that pleases us, right? And so, so when we do that, you know, we, we build these, these habits of, of self-gratification, and then we meet Jesus, and we bring those habits with us into that relationship with him. 
And so, so what should be worship of him becomes worship of self with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. Please note that Paul does not, in verse 1, say holy and pleasing to you. Does not say holy and pleasing to me. It says holy and pleasing to God. There's no indication in the entirety of Scripture that the worshiper should be pleased or gratified or glorified by worship. Paul tells us here that that true and proper worship is pleasing to God, to God, and that it has cost. Let's let's, uh, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 24, and and we're going to jump into the story kind of in the middle, um, but the kind of the basis is that Israel has angered God, and so he's sent a plague on the nation, and, and God tells David through the prophet Gad that, that he should go and offer a sacrifice to him in this specific location, this land that is owned by a man named Arana. And so we're picking this up in verse 21. And here we go. It says, Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arana said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arana, gives it all to the king. Arana also said to him, may the lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And see, here we see David demonstrate this very important principle that that we have to understand as followers of Christ. Pleasing God in worship requires sacrifice on our part. It requires dying to self. See, David was was the king. He was the top dog. And and you can't see this, but I typed dog, D-A-W-G, to emphasize how legit and important he actually was. Uh, He didn't even have to ask. He could have just taken it. But instead, in humility, even when it was offered to him for free, he insists on paying for it because David knew what it meant to sacrifice, to willingly give up what is of value to you. A sacrifice that costs you nothing is not a sacrifice, and it's not worship. So what does this mean for us? Does this mean that we, that we should strive to be miserable in our worship? Of course not. Is it okay to enjoy and be pleased by worship? Absolutely. But that is a potential result and should never, ever be the goal. You see, if we evaluate our worship based on our own fulfillment, or if we, or if we come seeking our own satisfaction, we are aiming at pleasing ourselves, at worshiping ourselves. And that is the wrong target. Does this mean that, that if, if, this does, if it doesn't cost you much, then it's not 
worship. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that in order to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, our lives cannot be about us. Our lives and therefore our worship cannot be about us and it cannot be without cost. I can't say what that cost may be for you. It may be any number of things. It may be your pride. It may be your time. It may be your stuff. It may be unhealthy habits. It's like all of that for me personally. Uh, I don't know what it is for you. And I'm sure it isn't just one thing. But a life of sacrifice cannot be without sacrifice. We all have things that we have yet to lay before the Lord. And so the question I ask all of us this morning is this, for whose pleasure? For whose pleasure do we worship? For whose pleasure do we live? Is it for ourselves? To seek, to satisfy ourselves with all that life has to offer? Or is it for the one who created that life to begin with? For whose pleasure? Are there strings attached to your worship? Is your worship contingent upon the comfort level of your life? You know, I'll, I'll worship with everything I got as long as I have A, B, and C, but if those things go, then I'm out of here. That can't be the way that we operate. We belong to a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, his special possession. He's already made the first move when he came and conquered sin and death for us. So therefore, in response to all that he has done, we must strive to worship rightly in all that we do for the Lord's pleasure and not for our own. For we are set apart. We are different and we cannot keep worshiping created things and people who are not worthy of it. Instead, let's, without any strings attached or contingencies, worship the creator of those things and people and the only one who is worthy of it. Let us, in all that we do, seek to understand and follow the will of God. A life like that will have cost, but it's there in the cost that what's most valuable to us is revealed. Here's the beautiful thing. We jump back to to Romans 12 for just a second. Verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, when you abide in the Lord and seek him first, He renews your mind. He changes the way that we think. You know, one of the questions that, or debates that I've heard most throughout my life in ministry so far surrounds this idea of seeking and understanding 
the will of God. Well, this is how it's done. Paul tells us here that it's through the renewing of our mind that God's will is revealed. It's through abiding and willingly offering ourselves to him. When we have the right target, when we worship rightly, he changes the way we think and understand the world around us. Things that that were once so important in our eyes maybe no longer are. Or maybe things that, that seemed insignificant become powerful and meaningful to us. Maybe things that that may have seemed too big a sacrifice before are now easily cast aside. Our our lives of selfishness transform into lives of worship and of sacrifice and selflessness. It's a life lived with open hands. A life that, that says, Lord, I'll take whatever you give me And even if you ask for it back, it's yours. Paul writes in in Philippians chapter 3, just a beautiful testimony of a life that is transformed and is lived with open hands. This is verses 8 through 10. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It is for his sake that I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. A life set apart is a life not lived for ourselves, but is a life of worshipful sacrifice for the glorification and pleasure of the one who gave us that life. We are to be set apart. So let us not be conformed to the image of the world. Instead, let us be conformed to the image of Christ. Let us be a people that worships well in all that we do, in any and all circumstances, not for our own pleasure, but for the pleasure of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, you know our hearts better than we know them ourselves. God, you know the selfishness that resides within us. But as your word says, you have called us out of darkness and into your wonderful light. So let us not turn back towards that darkness that you've already saved us from and defeated. Instead, let us be conformed to your image more and more every day through abiding in you and the offering of ourselves day by day as living sacrifices. Let them be holy and pleasing to you. God, you are good and worthy to be praised. 
We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.